All right, well, let's go ahead and get started tonight uh, for our midweek service. Uh, we are going to get into Philippians chapter 3, um, right towards the end part of it here. Not sure exactly how far we'll get, but we'll try to make some time up here um, with at least a few verses as we go through this. Um, but let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. We'll get started tonight and uh, get into the to, into the lesson. Dear Heavenly Father, we are very thankful again to be here tonight, and we're very thankful that we have time and opportunity to study your word. I pray, Lord, that as we look at the things that you've uh, inspired and preserved for us uh, in this passage, uh, that we would receive the instruction to receive, that we would receive um, the understanding from your Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, we would uh, seek to please you with our walk and with our mind, with our thought process. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just give me the words to speak tonight, that you would uh, just, um, this time would be pleasing and honoring unto you. And Lord, again, I just thank you for it. And uh, these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, we left off right there around uh, verse 16. But again, you know, just kind of for the context, going back to verse 13, it says, Brethren, I count not myself... To have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. If any, uh, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto ye have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Rather in be followers of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So here we are looking at this passage and specifically seeing, as we talked about, that uh, that walk of which we were supposed to be um, uh, um, pleasing God with. And we talked a bit about the walk. We'll talk a little bit more about it. We talked about the calling, obviously. Talk a little bit about this idea of perfection. You know, again, that... Uh, often throws us for a loop, but God does call us to be perfect. God does call us to have this uh, idea and this concept of uh, what we're supposed to do. And he's not going to call us to do something that we can't do. So as we went through this, we saw that uh, we need to obviously respond to the Holy Spirit and the way he teaches and teaches truth. Uh, and uh, this obviously is uh, part of that mindset that if we are... Uh, truly seeking God, God's going to reveal it to us. There are some uh, false religions out there that talk about it in a very different way. So uh, if you talk about uh, um, the the Mormons or the Church of Latter-day Saints, as they call themselves, um, they will ask this, and they've asked this of me multiple times, and they say, well, did you pray about uh, receiving the truth from God? And actually, when I was young, I did. Um, I, I really wanted to know what truth was and, 
And uh, I prayed, God, please guide and direct me in my life to to know that truth. And I told them that, and then they were like, "Oh, oh, that's good." And he said, uh, "So, d- did you did you feel it? Feel what?" And they're like, "Well, the burning in the bosom." And they talk about that. That for them, that's a big thing. If you don't have the burning in the bosom, then you you know you may have not received the truth. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I don't base whether truth is truth off of a physical feeling. So if we're wanting to talk about burning of the bosom, uh, because I have multiple ulcers in my stomach, I frequently feel a burning in the bosom called heartburn. <clears throat> but if we're going to go the direction of this, uh, uh, this, this idea and this concept that, hey, we're going to, you know, receive this, uh, if you will, this specific physical sensation that shows us that what is truth that shows us and they they expected a different response from me and and they said well so what so what 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 exactly did god tell you was the truth and i said god told me that the truth is found here in his bible and it's not found in any of the writings of joseph smith or the mormon church and they were like (laughs) they didn't know what to say at that I'm like, well, then obviously they're kind of like, well, maybe that wasn't true. I'm like, no, that's truth. That's what God told me. There could only be one truth. Can't have it multiple different ways. And that's what the world tries to teach today is that you're going to wind up receiving uh, multiple truths. Your truth is your truth. So, you know, again, if you think that you're a, a, a winged, um, you know, pegasus with a, you know, unicorn horn flying around, then I guess that's your truth. And they, they say that's okay. Well, no, it's not okay. That's not okay. That's a foolish mindset. That is a mindset that is outside of the mind that we are supposed to have. And he may specifically talks about that in that last passage, or in the last part of verse 15, where God reveals truth unto us. And he does it in multiple different ways. He will put people in our lives to teach us, as Paul did with Timothy and Titus. Um, he put uh, Priscilla and Aquila in, um, in the um, specific life of Apollos. Apollos was going around, and he was this eloquent speaker, but he was preaching something different. He was preaching the gospel of John the Baptist. He was, pre- he was specifically preaching John's baptism and that repentance, which is different than what we see that Paul preaches. And they had to come along and correct him. And they showed the way of God, uh, you know, more perfectly unto him. So he, he obviously had to have some correction that was there. And we see that God does that from time to time. There was another group of people that Paul ran into, and he asked them unto what baptism they had been baptized. And uh, they said, uh, John's baptism. And he he took them and he baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, as everyone else was being at that time. And again, there was a specific reason for that. But what we find is, is God put those individuals in those per, those people's lives for the purpose of teaching and to show them and to uh, encourage them and to edify them. And also at the same time, you go through and you study uh, study the word, and if you diligently compare, like the Bereans did, scripture with scripture, and you're very thorough about it, you will see the truth that is there. Most of the times that people don't is when they don't 
read or study the entire subject matter through Scripture. And there's certain ways to go about doing that. We're we're not here to, to necessarily learn those processes, but there is a certain way you go about studying Scripture, and it's a scriptural pattern that we find. But what we see here is we see that God reveals and God teaches us the way he's supposed to. And here's the reason why. If you look at verse 16, he says, nevertheless, and he's going back to this mindset um, uh, speech again, going back to the way that we think. <coughs> because he said uh, that uh, we're supposed to, uh, again, have that mind in verse 15, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Again, we're talking about some things of salvation here, but he says, you have to have this mindset. In verse 16, he's talking about it again. He says, let us mind the same thing. This is where we get back, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> we get back to that, that uh, subject matter of Philippians, which is the mind of Christ. It's hard to have unity if we are not doing the, uh, or having the mindset that he clearly talks about, about, uh, uh, as he, he clearly, uh, you know, states that it's of no reputation, form of a servant, uh, humble and obedient. You cannot, you cannot be unified if that doesn't exist. So if you go over, just go over a couple of pages to, to, to Philippians 4, I just want to again show this to you. <coughs> Get that scratch cleared out of my throat there. <clears throat> he says that, uh, very clearly in verse three of Philippians chapter four, or excuse me, in Ephesians chapter four, um, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So, so part of the walk, according to Ephesians chapter four, verse three, is we have to endeavor. So that means it's a challenge. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a difficult task, but endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. The Holy Spirit binds people together. The Holy Spirit doesn't separate unless that spirit is contrary to the Holy Spirit. And it says, to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If you got a bunch of fightings and things like they had over in the church at Corinth, then absolutely you're going to have divisions. You're going to, you're not going to have peace. And we find that. You find that over in James talks about it as well in James chapter four. There's this constant battle that's going on, this war, uh, because again, people are, are asking amiss and they're asking to heap upon their lusts and they're lusting after things that they shouldn't be. And it is why war is existing there. But here he specifically says, and this is, this is an important part. He says, you know, whereunto we have already attained. And he's talking about salvation that we, we, we have that, uh, um, that eternal life, the forgiveness of sins that we know that we have in Jesus Christ. And he says, here, here you are, you've got that. And the understanding that we have that, he says, let us walk by the same rule. So again, here we are with this walk. Now, you, you, you find multiple places God tells us the ways we're supposed to walk. He says that we're supposed to walk in love. He specifically talks about, uh, uh, you know, over there in Ephesians. We'll take a look at a couple other verses here in a second about walk again, just to kind of refresh our memory. You know, obviously walking in the spirit is an important part. We find that over in, in second Corinthians and in Galatians. But what we find with this is when we walk, he says, there is a certain rule. Now, if there's one word in the English language that people 
really do not like, it is that word. Because the word rule in, means this. It means that there's an authority. It means there's authority in place. You go over and you see where uh, Paul is talking to Timothy over there, and he talks about uh, the person that's going to be in the role of a bishop. He says they clearly have to have this mindset, and that mindset is, is that they can rule their house well. Uh, go over there. Let's let's go over to to First Timothy. I just want to to point this out really quickly. <clears throat> in First Timothy, First <clears throat> Timothy chapter three, <clears throat> and he talks about in verse one. He says, "This is a true saying. If a man desire office of bishop, he desireth a good work." And he goes down and gives a bunch of. Uh, things they're supposed to be doing, you get down to verse 4, and this is where I wanted to focus on, one that ruleth his own, well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So here again, we, we find something that he specifically says, hey, you're supposed to rule your household. Now, again, when we go out and we start talking about authority, some people will grab a hold of that and then they just completely twist it. And what they do is they start walking around like, you know, little Hitler and just, you know, be, being, a, being a jerk in the home. That's not what God said. That's not authorization to maltreat people. That's, that's absolutely not what authority is. And a person that does that, I will say first and foremost, they don't understand authority according to Scripture. So what has to be done is, if a person wants to know how to rule their own house well, they have to understand the importance of authority. They have to understand who authorizes authority. They have to understand the the, the management process of authority and how it works with other people. They have to go through the high, whole idea of how to treat others. And God talks about it. I mean, repeatedly throughout Scripture. That was one of the issues that he had with the Pharisees. Here they are, and they were people that knew. They were lawyers, if you will, about Scripture. But they were walking around, and they were using the Bible as a bludgeoning tool. Trying to put people down and trying to, uh, if you will, um, say that they were better than them and to put themselves in a higher position. Now, I'll tell you this... We all know, and we've all seen bosses like that, where they're the ones who will trample over everybody just to get to the next rung of the corporate ladder. And those people do not understand one thing about authority. They don't understand what authority means. So when we start looking at authority, well, who do we look at for our model of authority? Well, God the Father. And we find that God the Father specifically shows a great deal of love, care, compassion, loving kindness, merciful, long-suffering, forgiveness. I mean, we find a whole slew of things that most people don't realize that those are the traits of a person that is an authority. And look, I don't, I don't care what authority it is, whether you're an authority in the position in a home, whether you're an authority in a position at work, whether you're an authority in a position as somebody that is in governance or even, you know, to, to a degree in law enforcement. 
what we look at is we see that individuals have this responsibility and they need to know when they are delegated that responsibility how to do it correctly. If you don't know how to do it correctly, then you're just going to make a mess of things. So when we get to this word rule back over there in um, in verse uh, 16, I say all that to get to this part here where he says, let us walk by the same rule. This is something that is essentially a commandment. We don't break rules. Christians don't break rules. That's That's just something that goes against who we are. You know, when Christ came, he didn't violate the law. Now, somebody will jump on it and say, well, it does say he, he, you know, he broke the Sabbath. There's a reason why he broke the Sabbath. Because he is the rest. So there's a reason why he did away with that. But everything else, he was, you know, there were certain things he was talking about staying. Now, again, we're not talking the ceremonial laws and we're not talking about, you know, mixing of fabrics and some things like that. But, you know, from the moral perspective, there are certain things that we go back and we look at that from an apologetic standpoint. But but what I'm talking about is Jesus Christ didn't walk around just breaking rules. And what we have to begin to realize is that, you know, when God tells us there are certain things that we need to do, then we do them. Now, obviously, we understand what it says in the book of Acts, too. We ought to obey God rather than men. So we look at it as if the, if the, if the rule or a commandment of man is given to us or ordinance in such a way that it violates the rule of God, then we are bound as a Christian, as a believer, to follow Christ, not man. They told him to stop preaching Jesus Christ. They didn't do it. They told him to, you know, knock it off and, and not go around and evangelize. They didn't do it. You know, they told him to leave certain cities. Well, they didn't do it. I mean, you know, it just, it, it was very clear. They were obeying the commandments of go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They were going in there and, if you will, being uh, uh, ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation of Christ to everyone. So we see that those are the overarching commandments that are there. But when we're talking about this rule, this rule is something that is important for the purpose of unity. You can't have unity if somebody is a rule breaker. If everybody's doing the same thing, the the same way, and one person says, I'm not going to do it that way, they have separated themselves from the herd. We all know what happens. I mean, we've all seen enough of the, the wildlife episodes on, you know, the animal channel or whatever it is that's out there in Discovery. And, and you know, they go out there and they see this, you know, they, we, we watch the, the things of the, oh, here's the poor little gazelle. And here's the little gazelle that decides to go off and goes away from the herd of gazelles. And, and what happens? Here comes the lions. And, they, and, you know, you're covering the children's eyes because, you know, it's bloody and everything. People are screaming, oh, the horror, you know, and I'm like, uh, <clears throat> that, that, it's wildlife. Okay. <laughs> By the way, you know why that all exists? Sin. Anyways, <laughs> let's see. I mean, we go over there and we find very clearly God says we need to all obey the same rule. And what is that? What is that? As we look at this in verse 16, he says, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. The same thing is, is we are all supposed to have this mentality. 
of uh, of obedience, of humility, of form of a servant, of of uh, um, of no reputation, meaning that we're not trying to bring glory to ourselves. And this becomes a very important thing. Because if you take a look, and one of the real issues that, that, that was going on is you take a look at the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were practicing humanism. They were not practicing real true Judaism according to Mosaic law. They were practicing humanism in an effort to glorify themselves. So that's what humanism is all about. So when we get over to this point where he's saying, look, we're supposed to be doing things for the glory of God, for the glory of the Father, for his will, not our will, it changes everything. And that is one of the primary understandings that every Christian has to grasp if they want to be in the body of Christ the way that God wants them to be in the body of Christ. What happens when one of our body parts rebels? What do we call that? Cancer. I mean, when, one, when we have autoimmune issues, where our immune system attacks us, those are, I mean, these are serious diseases. These are serious illnesses that are out there. We hear those type of words and we're just like, oh, we don't, we, we don't want to hear that type of stuff if our doctor walks in and says that. You, you, you just look at it and go, no, it can't be me. But I want you to understand that that is the kind of, if you will, sometimes the idea of what happens when people are not obedient to the Lord and they're not walking by that same rule and they're not walking according to the same mindset. That mindset is, is that mind of Christ where he says in chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in, in Christ Jesus. This, this is what he wants. Now again, understanding where the mind is, that it is actually part of the inward part of our soul, and it's part of the heart, and it's not, you know, this, this thing up here that controls all of those things, but we often refer to it, we often point to it, to kind of differentiate between heart and mind and things of that nature. Because sometimes we can be persuaded in mind in an intellectual ascent, but not actually believe in the heart. God wants belief. God wants belief. I remember when uh, when I was uh, doing some evangelism uh, training up at Open Door Baptist Church, Pastor Blue was using the evangelism explosion kind of program, modified, obviously. And uh, he, he liked that one, and that was the one he chose. But, you know, that doesn't mean that that's the only one to use, okay? I mean, again, you, you, if you're going to catch fish... You're going to be a fisherman. You got to have a lot of different uh, tools in the bait, you know, the bait box, because well, you're going to have a lot of different uh, people. You can't talk to everybody the same way. It just doesn't work. Just like you can't catch the same type of, uh, you know, a bunch of fish with the same lure. There are certain lures that work better for other fish. There are certain ones that that work really good, but. For the most part, you're going to want to use, you know, obviously a basic understanding. There's a basic thing there that we understand bait is bait. And I'm not saying you go in and bait them in a deceitful way. That's not what I'm saying, okay? You understand what I'm talking about. But <clears throat> but what he's getting at is, is you have to speak to people in a certain way. You have to you have to talk to them. And as part of that was is, you know, you'll, you'll talk to individuals when you're soul winning, 
inevitably somebody will say, well, you know, I've always kind of known that, that God exists, so I guess I'm saved. That's not salvation. That is not salvation. Because you take them over to the Bible verse where it says that the, it says that in the Bible, it says the devils believe and tremble. Now, they believe who Jesus Christ is, but they're definitely not putting their faith and trust and hope in him. <laughs> he didn't die for them, by the way. So the one key thing that we realize is just because you think you know doesn't mean that you believe in the heart as according to Romans chapter 10. So there, there's, a, there's a key understanding that exists there. But this is the mindset that he wants us to have. This is, this is how we walk. This is how we walk. Uh, go over to a couple of passages. I want you to see this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> I want you to look at this parenthetical in verse 7. <clears throat> Here he is saying, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, faith is a very important aspect of the Christian life, which is why you have, you know, a lot being said about faith. It's why you have chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. It's why you have a definition of what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we see a lot discussing what faith is, talking about uh, receiving the word of God and, and believing it as truth and being obedient to it. So when we're walking by faith, that's exactly what we're doing. We're doing the same thing Abraham did. Abraham was told, come out of this land of Ur. I want you to go over here. And he said, yes, Lord, I'll go. And he believed those promises, even though he never saw the fulfillment of them. So what we find here is we find that God's telling us this is a certain way. There's a, there's a walk that involves a certain way. And in order to do those things that we talked about being humble and being obedient, that means that we have to obviously place the word of God in a very specific prioritization in our life. And at the same time, understand that we have to obey it. So there we are taking a look at faith. Go over to another chapter, chapter um, five of the book of Galatians. <coughs> Galatians five. <clears throat> Now, Galatians 5 contains the works of the flesh, and it contains the fruit of the Spirit in the last part of it. But I want us to take a look at chapter 5, verse 16. He says this, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So here, here's the major issue. Here's the major problem that, that exists. The reason why people continue in sin is because they're operating off of a fleshly mindset. They're not operating in a spiritual mindset. I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Let's say a child walks in and they see a bag of jelly beans. I'm going to make it real for me, okay? <laughs> and they see that bag of jelly beans in the Fred Meyer. And they see that and they go... There it is in the grocery store, hanging there, right at the checkout counter. Nobody's watching. Granted, everybody's always watching, but the Lord sees it. And they quickly pocket that bag of jelly beans. Now, why did they do that? 
Number one, they saw it. And as Paul talks about, uh, there was a, there was, you know, sin conceived and what had happened, there was a lust that was formed and that lust that began to grow, oh, just moved in them to the point of where there was this thought process of, I have to have those, but I am not willing to pay for them. That's will. That's pride. And they take it in defiance of law, the law of God, the law of man, and, 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 and they just violate. So we see there that it's done in a prideful, fleshly mindset. Because what spiritual be- benefit comes from a jelly bean? I've eaten enough of them to tell you there is none. There is none. But on the other hand, if a person is spiritually minded, they would look at that, and then when the temptation comes, they would say, man, I really want those jelly beans. Well, I don't have enough money. I guess not today, maybe some other time, because I don't want to displease my Lord by stealing. I don't want to bring shame to the, to the cross of Christ. I don't want to do anything that would ever possibly tarnish the reputation of who my Savior is. Now that's spiritually minded. Spiritually minded to have that verse come in and says, Thou shalt not steal in Exodus 20. In Ephesians 4, talking about that mindset of the thief. And they turn around and they look at that and they go, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do anything that is not for the glory of the Lord. Now, that's a spiritual mindset. This is how we're supposed to have. And this is where, again, we get to this point, and a lot of people continue in sin because they're not willing to say no to the flesh. They're not willing to deny themselves. They're not willing to, if you will, uh, put, as Paul talks about, mortify the flesh. Consider it dead. Consider it dead. And could you imagine, I mean, just if there was some, you know, child standing there looking at the jelly beans and you could see he's going through the debate in his mind and he looks at it and he, he, he looks at his flesh and he goes, flesh, you're dead. I'm not even going to give in to you. No. You'd be like, kids getting serious (laughs) but what we see is is we see that there's a desire that is different uh instead of pleasing self-will it's about pleasing god and doing his will and if that means you have to count yourself as dead in certain situations then you do then you do let's go over to another passage uh and that's over in first john Chapter 2, 1 John, chapter 2, towards the end of the Bible there, 1 John chapter 2. And here's a very important uh, verse when it comes to this walk that goes hand in hand with exactly what we see over here in uh, Philippians in verse 6. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, He that saith, he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Now here's here here here's the great thing. The book of Ephesians says if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You're in him. 
He's in you. It's a cool thing. Now, here, here's what happens. If we are going to go around saying that I am a Christian, that I am a believer, then we need to have the same walk he did. That's why we're called Christians. We follow Christ. Now, this is important because we're going to get into that in the next verse here in just a minute over in Philippians 3. But what he's specifically saying in this passage, John's saying, your walk should mirror the walk of Christ. We should walk the same way. And in order to walk that same way, you got to have the same mindset. you got to think the same way. Got to think the same way. Let's go back over there to, to uh, Philippians chapter 3. And in verse 17, <clears throat> we see there that he says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. <coughs> so here we are talking about a walk again. And he makes that statement of follow me. If you jump over to chapter 4, Chapter 4 and uh, um, verse 9, he kind of, you know, has some of the same thought, which we'll get to this a little bit later on. He says, those things which he have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. The reason why people don't have peace is because they're not learning anything, they're not receiving anything, they're not hearing anything, and they're not seeing anything, and they're not doing anything. That's why people walk around with severe anxiety gripping them and they're enabled, or, you know, unable to, to accomplish things in this life. So what we find here very specifically is Paul saying, look, God is using me as an example. God's using me uh, specifically uh, to, to, to be viewed in a certain way so that you will have an idea and a pattern. Now again, you gotta remember, they didn't have the, 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 the full written word of God. So when Paul is writing this, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels. Uh, they didn't have, um, you know, all of them complete together. They were still walking around with books, but again, they weren't, you know, books of the Bible like we have. You know, there was uh, parchments, there was things that were written by the scribes, there were scrolls, all those type of things. So when we begin to understand that, we begin to understand there's a reason why God was saying, okay, I'm going to put some people in, that, that are godly in your life that you can see that this is the behavior we're supposed to model. This is the behavior that we're supposed to follow after. Now, again, we're not putting that person on a pedestal. They are not God. <coughs> You know, people treat uh, sometimes Paul as the fourth person of the Trinity, and he did no sin after his conversion. I, well, I think if you read Paul's epistles, you find it very clear that he still struggled with sin, just like every single last one of us. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts documents some pretty serious contention that rose up between him and Barnabas over an individual by the name of John Mark. Now, John Mark obviously did something that was way out of line, and he abandoned, and he walked away from the ministry. And and when he came back and, and said, hey, I want to be, you know, back in this, 
Barnabas was all there and he was just, just like he had received Paul. Hey, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to receive this guy. I'm ready to, 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 uh, look the other way when it came to his misgivings and let's go ahead and move forward. Paul didn't. Paul didn't. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Paul was like, no, I don't want him. I don't want him on this journey. Now, he wasn't saying he couldn't serve God or anything like that. It's just Paul was kind of being, well, stubborn. He was being prideful. He was being a wee bit unforgiving. Now, you know, a lot of people they kind of kind of disagree with that, and they're going to say, well, you know, John Mark did do so. I get it. I totally get it. But later on, you know what Paul says about John Mark? He's profitable unto me in the ministry. After the big blow up with Paul and Barnabas, guess what happened? John Mark actually became a profitable person. He, he, he was, he was, he was under the tutelage of Barnabas for a long time. And, and here's John Mark and, and he's obviously being used of God. If he's, if, if Paul's coming back later on saying, Hey, this guy, he, he's actually, he's good. There's a, there's a prophet here. And again, not profit in a financial sense. But he was doing something that was edifying and helping Paul. So obviously somewhere along the lines, Paul kind of realized he made some mistakes. He made some mistakes. And there's others that, that, that are mentioned in, in, in there. And I just want to point those things out to just say, look, he's not saying follow me and follow my sin. He's saying follow this mindset that I'm going to try to mirror for you. So when we see that there, he says, brethren, be ye follows together of me. And he's saying, look, we were all pressing together for that same prize that he talks about in verse 14. We're all pressing to, to, to finish this race. We're all pressing for those, uh, for those crowns of, of, of rewards for the glory of God. That, and if that is our mindset and we all have that mindset, then we are going to be followers. We are going to be followers. I look at it this way. <clears throat> sheep follow other sheep, right? But there's only one shepherd. And if the shepherd can begin moving the sheep, the other sheep will follow the other sheep, but they are following the shepherd. That's the intent. Now, when a sheep goes astray and other sheep follow that sheep, they've erred because they're no longer following the shepherd. So we see this as a pattern of what he's talking about. And again, he's not saying, I want you to worship me. I'm more important than Christ. By no means does he say that. Turn to a couple of passages. I want to make sure we understand this in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Peter talks about it. We talked about that over there in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, about following after um, uh, Christ. But in uh, Romans chapter 14, <clears throat> jump down here to um, verse 19, talking about following. He says, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. Now, I like this verse when we start talking about following. Because when he's saying, hey, I want you to follow, but there's certain people that I don't want you to follow... 
This goes straight in line with that because he's saying, what do they have to follow? What do those people, what does Paul have to be following after? The things that make for peace and that we may edify one another. If a person is not seeking to edify anybody else, but they're seeking to destroy them, that is not a person you follow. That is not a person you follow. If it's a person that is just creating conflict along the way and is just constantly doing that, that is not a person to follow. That is not a person to follow. You know, I've, I've, I've had some individuals in my life before that, that, that that was their whole life. I mean, that's all they wanted to do is they were all about conflict. They're all about conflict. I'm sure we've all met that guy, that, that guy that thinks they can take everybody, the guy that thinks that he's the best of the best of the best and that he can fight everyone and he's going to fight everyone. That person is a fool. That person is a fool. And the reason why that person is a fool is because they're thinking of themselves more highly than they ought to think. Because I guarantee you there's somebody that's going to be bigger, better, stronger, and better, and faster. Just go watch some of those guys where they go out there and they start, you know, taunting in the, the, you know, the UFC or the MMA stuff. And they go out there and they think they're all that. And, you know, they go out there and stick their chin out there just, you know, trying to mock the other guy. And they just get, you know, next thing you know is they're planked out on the ground, stiff as a board. And the other guy's running around because he won the fight. Another guy doesn't have no, has no concept of what just happened. Well, he just, he was just humiliated. He was just humiliated. So what we find here is he's saying, look, we need to be following after these things. If these things are not part of a person's life and they want to be peaceable and dwell peaceably among all men as we see him talking about and and, and, and we seek to edify one another with that, that, that charity that exists that Paul's always talking about, that we're supposed to edify one another with our speech, then by all means, this is what we're supposed to follow. We don't follow the other people. We don't follow the other people. Take a look at another passage. Go over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, here he is talking about this in verse 16. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Be followers of me. And, and what is that? Because in verse 17, he says, For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. See, I love this. Paul clarifies. Paul clarifies that this follower of me, he's saying is exactly this. My ways which be in Christ. This is what he's teaching in every church. This is why he sent those individuals uh, to Corinth to teach them this again. He wants them to follow Christ. He wants them to be in the ways of Christ. This is the whole concept that we see when it comes to following the Savior. Following the Savior. And this is where it becomes very important. We as Christians have to learn how to discern when it is truth and when it is opinion. When it is false doctrine. 
This is why studying the scripture becomes very important. That's why the Bereans did it. They wanted to know for sure. So they searched it out themselves, as every Christian should. And by the way, that's the area where you know the word Christian began to be used. So what we find here is we find these individuals having this desire to follow the ways of Christ. It's got to be the ways of Christ. Because if Paul's ways were not the ways of Christ, then he clarifies and he says, this is my opinion. And I will do that. I will do the same thing. You know, again, I have opinions. You know, you ask everybody in here what they think the best car is. And somebody's going to say a truck. Somebody's going to say this. Somebody's going to say that. Somebody's going to say electric soul. I don't know who would say that. But, you know, we understand there are individuals that say stuff like that. But it's all about what fits your need and fits your budget. (laughs) That's one of the primary things. So what we find here is we find that Paul is is clarifying this. Take a look at chapter 11, same book, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Here again, he clarifies some more. This is so great. People will take verses out of context, but then they won't read the rest of it. And this is why it becomes important not to just read a, you know, a couple of verses around it, but to read the entire chapter and to be read the entire book. Here he is in chapter 11, and a few chapters later, he says, be followers of me, just as he said before, even as I also am of Christ. That's, that's the standard. That's the standard. If it doesn't follow a Christ-like manner and it doesn't follow a Christ-like mindset and they're not Christ-like words, they are not Christ-like, they are anti-Christ, we don't use it. We don't follow that. We don't follow that. We, we, we avoid it at all costs. As a matter of fact, we start, we're going to start talking about marking here in just a minute. Let's take a look at another chapter in chapter 14, same book. First Corinthians chapter 14. <coughs> and there's a bunch of passages in regards to this. But here we are in chapter 14 and um, verse 1, after he's just gone through that whole dissertation about charity in chapter 13, here he is in chapter 14, what does he say? Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. He's getting ready to go into to speaking in tongues and saying... That edifies yourself. Prophecy edifies the church. Now, prophecy isn't what, you know, a lot of people think prophecy is about, which is, you know, go over into things like the minor prophets and the major prophets and, you know, Daniel chapter 7 and things like that, okay? We're not talking about that. That's part of it. But prophecy is also teaching. Prophecy also involves the instruction. And what we find here. Because what did the prophets do? Were the prophets always talking about the future? Or did the prophet Nathan rebuke David directly in the now for a sin he committed? Did Elijah specifically address Ahab and Jezebel's actions right there? He was a great prophet. They call him a prophet. So we, we sometimes, we, you know, again, we put these, we, sh- we shade these words according to what we think without truly understanding them. 
But here he is saying, you know, prophecy is a good thing and all of this, but, but in order to do that, in order to get to that mindset, the first thing that we have to do is we have to follow charity. We have to follow after the things of charity. And there is no greater charitable concept than Christ. There is none. There is none. But as we see here in this chapter, going back over to chapter 3 of Philippians, he says this is something that is to be done together. Be followers together of me. So keeping in the same concept, he's not just saying be followers of me. He's saying be followers together. He says if you're going to be of the same mind, if you're going to have the same rule, you're going to be together, we're going to strive to keep this unity, then you need to do it together. You need to do it together. So much, so many people get so, so, uh, you know, if you will, out of the understanding of scripture that they think that they're, that, that it's best to isolate themselves. Mankind was not meant to be isolated. That's, that, that, that that's, that's not the way God intended. Well, how do we know that? He said in Genesis, it is not good that man should be alone. So he created a woman, right? So obviously we know that there's at least that relationship. But part of that relationship was there would be more people. A lot more people. A lot of people. Understanding that, he, you know, he wanted people to have the same mind of pleasing him, pleasing the Lord. That's that's what we're supposed to do. If you isolate yourself, you seclude yourself, you will become Satan's victim and you will be destroyed. Edification is not to be done by ourselves. We are to edify one another. That's the commandment. Edification of each other. And here he is, he's saying, well, I want you to do this Together. I want you to do this together. So, you know, obviously we must know how to follow. If we're going to have the mind of Christ we and, and we're going to follow that rule and that same thing, we're going to have to know what specific pattern there is. Now, taking a look over that verse 17, he says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them. Now, people start talking about marking, and I, and I don't know how far I'm going to get with this, but, but you know, people start talking about marking, and uh, initially people just, they, they gravitate towards one way. If I say Mark, you know, not thinking of John Mark or, you know, Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, and we talk about actually marking someone, one of the very first things that people talk about and think about is this, the Mark of the Beast. It's like, boom, <laughs> 666. Mark. Oh, marking's bad. Marking's bad. Marking's bad. Yeah, right up into the point where you realize that in the same book, in the book of Revelation, he talks about marking those that were followers of him. Oh. Remember, the devil's always a copycat. The devil copies. So, there's a mark. There's a mark. So let's talk about some marks. Now, obviously, you know, somebody's going to go over to Genesis chapter 14 and they're going to start talking about the mark on Cain. Let's not take, let's not take LDS doctrine and say that mark of Cain is what has cursed a certain people of a skin color. That, no, no. 
got to remember, King's lineage was wiped out. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore. Why? Because you have Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and Noah, and their wives coming off the ark. No mention of Cain. The only idea of Cain that is mentioned thereon from that point is his mindset as a child of Satan. That's it. So let's not start attributing that to race. I just got to make sure I get that out there because some people just go (laughs) off the deep end about it. But I want you to turn over to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. Now here in this passage in, 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 uh, uh, in Philippians chapter three, he's talking about marking them in such a way that you identify them as affiliated with Christ. He says you need to mark them the right way. Now that doesn't again go up, mean you go up and you, you know, take one of the gold seals and you lick the back of it and you stick it on their forehead, okay? That's not what the marking we're talking about, all right? We're not talking about walking up to them with a red sharpie and, you know, you know, making a dot behind them or whatever. No, we're, we're talking about a marking in such a way that you note who the person is, the character of who they're following. The character of who they're following. Are they following the character, the mindset, and the actions of Christ? So you do that, and you do it as a mental note. You do it as a mental note. But here we find in Psalm chapter 37 that God marks certain people. Psalm 37, 37. What does he say? He says, mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Now, isn't that interesting? He says, mark the perfect man. So again, here we are with that word perfect. Didn't God do that? What did he say about Job? How did he mark Job? Perfect, upright, shoot evil, right? He said that to Satan himself. He had marked him. Job was God's. Job was God's. He feared God. And here God's saying, mark the perfect man. Take a look at the person's actions. What are they doing? Now, again, you know, somebody's saying, well, isn't that kind of like judging? Well, yeah, it is. But we have to know how to judge a certain way. God says we're supposed to judge all things. And we know there's a verse that says, judge not lest you be judged. So that means that there's a right way and a wrong way. Because in the same passage, God says you need to judge it the righteous way. Spiritually, there's a certain way to judge things. And let's put it this way. We're all, pre- we're all, we're all prejudiced. Now, I'm not saying we're all racist. Don't, don't, don't go there, okay? I'm saying we all prejudge situations, don't we? We all prejudge certain situations. As an example, you walk into Walmart. It's open 24 hours a day if, you know, if you can find one of those nowadays. It's over 24 hours a day, and you walk in there at 2 a.m. You just prejudged the situation, didn't you? I didn't say anything. 
I didn't say anything. I could have just said, all you have to do is fight around the freight. But you all know, <laughs> 2 a.m., there's a certain type of, of creature that comes out and lurks about. So we kind of prejudge it, right? We, 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 we look at it as an expectation of something. So we do do a judgment in every single day. We do go through that process of saying, hey, I'm going to judge this. I'm going to judge whether it's right, whether it's wrong. And sometimes we look at that in a person, which means we have to know Scripture and we have to do it the right way. But here we are very clearly seeing where he's saying, mark the perfect man and behold the upright. This is something that we look at in people. Now, again, we're not going through this process of comparing themselves to us. Don't walk around and say, well, I'm the most spiritual person I know, so I'm going to see if they're... No, don't even... Yeah, don't go there. That's what the Pharisees did. What we do is we say, is that person a follower of Jesus Christ? That means that there needs to be an outward demonstration of it. There should be an outward demonstration this is exactly what God's talking about. You go over to, uh, uh, again, Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> Romans chapter 16, and uh, take a look at... Uh, um, <clears throat> verse 17. So now we, we see there's a marking of the perfect man and beholding the upright. And we see that the end of that person, as he says in that passage, 37, 37 in the Psalms, there's peace. We look at that person and guess what? They're not at war. They're not at war. Why? Well, they're not at war with God. They're not at war with God. In verse 17 of Romans chapter 16, he says, Now I beseech you, uh, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines or the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. God says, yes, it's okay to avoid certain people. It's okay to avoid them. But specifically, he says, these are people that cause divisions and offenses that are contrary to doctrine. Look, doctrine isn't just, you know, the doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of sanctification and, and doctrine of, of, uh, um, uh, redemption and the doctrine of baptisms and things of that nature. Those are all doctrines, but doctrine contains so much more than that. Doctrine is everyday truth that you use to walk. Some people will say, well, you know, good heavy doctrine is, you know, stuff over there in the book of Ezekiel. Yeah, okay. I will say that's that that's doctrine. But you know what else is great doctrine? Proverbs. There's a lot of great doctrine in Proverbs. There's a lot of great doctrine in the book of Philippians that we're studying. What we're actually going through right now is doctrine. It's it, it, doctrine essentially is is what is taught as truth. And he's saying if it's contrary to the truth of the word of God, if it's contrary to what has been taught to these individuals, he says, don't do it. Don't do it. Look, if somebody comes up to you and says that charity is not important, that faith is more important, you should immediately go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and realize that he says that charity is important 
to the point of where when you look at faith, hope, and charity, charity is the greatest. It's the greatest. And again, I just, I look at that and I go, that's an amazing thing to understand. But when you begin to understand what, what Christ's getting at with that, it makes perfect sense. But, but I will, I'll, I'll tell you this, when, when we start looking at, you know, how these individuals teach things that are contrary, look, if somebody comes up to you and says something like that, you should mark that person. Again, you, you ask clarification questions. And you say, well, what does it say according to, you know, uh, um, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 over there? I mean, it says that charity's, you know, the greatest. And if the person says, oh, well, you know, that's a typo or, or, well, we don't look at that verse or, or, you know, whatever they do. I mean, whatever ridiculous thing they say that is contrary to what God has put in scripture, you just go, ah, okay. <laughs> you move on. Move on. You don't want to learn from that person. You want to mark them and say, I want to avoid that. I want to avoid that mentality. I want to avoid that false doctrine. I want to avoid that false teaching because it will destroy me. Paul talks about that with Timothy, what happens when a little bit of false doctrine comes in. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. We have to be very careful with that. We have to be extremely careful. So we see that we're supposed to mark both good and bad, but what he's talking about in this specific passage is we mark those that actually have a good witness, a good testimony, and a good walk. We look for faithfulness. First Timothy chapter two, verse two talks about that, about, you know, teaching and training up those that are faithful. Faithful in ministry, faithful in obedience, faithful in humility, faithful in service, and faithful very clearly in that they're seeking the glory of God, which is exactly what he starts going to, to the next part. Because he identifies, if you will, in an inverse truth in verses 18 through 19, who these other people are that we mark. Very clearly, they don't follow our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They don't follow, you know, our God, the Holy Spirit teaching us. They follow someone else. And it's not an idol. It's themselves. And that is a dangerous thing. And we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. But we're out of time for now. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into that, uh, Lord willing, then. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again, Lord, that we can be here, that we can learn from you. I thank you again so much for what you teach us in this passage. I pray, Lord, that we would endeavor to do this. We would endeavor to follow exactly this mindset that, Lord, we would be very observant and walk circumspectly and that, Lord, we would know the scriptures and understand the scriptures and to be able to discern those that are mar- those that are walking contrary and those that are walking true to your word. Again, Lord, I thank you for this time. Pray you just uh, meet with us again uh, for the men's Bible study coming up this week. And again, Lord, for our potluck and uh, um, Lord's Supper service that we have coming up this Sunday, Lord, I pray you just begin to prepare our hearts and make it ready for that. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.